Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, where we interview Evan Miller and talk about his journey from being in the Air Force to becoming a CFP to landing on real estate full time. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my co pilot, co host, Scott Trench. Thanks, Mindy. Great to be here, and always delighted to be your wingman. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or go full-time as a real estate investor, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am very excited to bring on Evan Miller today to talk about real estate and the Air Force and CFP stuff. This was a fun conversation. Absolutely. he Evan has picked up a cash flow positive asset, including houses and a cash flow positive spouse every year for the last eight years in a row. <laughs> and it's really enabled him to uh, build a solid portfolio and go full time into real estate investing. All right, Mindy, we have a new segment of the money show called Money Moments, where we share a money hack tip or trick to help you on your financial journey. And today's money moment is, this may seem like an obvious way to save some money, but a reusable water bottle versus buying one. This goes for plastic bags too. Just bring your own. This not only helps the planet, but also helps your pocketbook. I've got three of them. These little Nalgene water bottles cost me 20 bucks. Never go anywhere without them. All right, before we bring in Evan, let's take a quick break. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split. 
with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. And we're back. Evan Miller is a financial planner turned real estate investor who can be heard on episode 217 of our sister show, The Real Estate Rookie Podcast. He's also the husband of our general manager of publishing at Bigger Pockets, Katie Miller. Evan, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks, Mindy. Hi, Scott. Hi, Mindy. So great to be on the show. I'm a huge fan. I try not to fanboy too much, but it's a uh, it's really cool to actually get to be on the show and to talk to you guys in this context. Well, Evan, let's jump into your money story. Let's look at the history of your experiences and journey with money. Yeah. So I grew up in a big family, have five siblings, so six of us total. And my parents raised us on a one income household and they didn't have a ton of income, but they put us through. I did the math. It was 54 years of um, private school total. All of us attended the same school for nine years. Um, they remodeled their house while, while we were growing up, um, just really made the most out of a relatively m- modest income. And I think the reason they were able to do a lot of that was through Dave Ramsey. They did the total money makeover, all of that stuff that Dave Ramsey puts out. And we learned about the envelopes and like literally taking your spending money out of the bank account into cash, putting it in envelopes. And I grew up on that and it, um, I loved it. I was always kind of a, finance nerd before I even realized it and would like have like probably 10 different envelopes and um, that would dictate how I would spend. And, um, you know, through high, that started when I was like before high school. And then when I got into high school, I started being able to make my own money, um, did a little lawn mowing business in the summer, um, worked some other jobs in the summer to, to make some extra money. And all that money was going into my envelopes. So I was watching everything I was spending um, down to the last detail down to how many half pieces of gum I could chew throughout each day um, in my classes. It was pretty OCD. So um, that's kind of how I approached it until I got um, into college. But um, I I think it was a really powerful start and an an awesome foundation that set me up to um, kind of parlay into the entrepreneurial journey that I've started since then. You, you, uh, I believe you decided to go into the Air Force after high school. Did you go to, can you walk us through that journey and where college comes in and where the Air Force begins? Yeah. So I had always been my dream to be a pilot. So come junior year and stuff, I started looking into the service academies and I ended up going to the Air Force Academy. Um, something that's really cool about the Air Force Academy is that they pay for your whole school. So graduated from the Air Force Academy debt-free of sorts. I did have the debt of time. We ha- you have a commitment. You have to serve for five years. Um, but a benefit of that commitment is you have an awesome job when you graduate um, and a very clear 
um, career progression, really for as long as you want, but certainly for the first five years. Um, you graduate with about a $50,000 salary um, if you're living in Denver. And then throughout the five years, you get automatic raises all the way up to you're making about 100000 um, by the time you make captain and you're in your fifth year. And Evan, that includes that that base salary is also buffered by allowances for food and housing. Is that correct? What would you estimate the total comp for a new Air Force graduate is uh, an O2? So that is the total comp. And it's about 60% salary and 40% base allowance for housing. Um, and a cool thing about that, the BAH doesn't get taxed. So um, the 100000 once you're a captain, so four years in, um, is is like 40% of that isn't taxed. Um, it did it complicates it a little bit when you're trying to go buy, buy your first houses. Um, but ultimately, if you get the right lender, it, it's better because you're not having to pay tax on that. So they can round up a little bit. Awesome. And while you were at the uh, Air Force Academy and getting started in your career, um, can you tell us a little bit about your financial habits and were they the same as your peers? Did you spend like a sailor? Other than that's Navy, but uh, how, how did that go? I certainly didn't spend like a sailor. I tried to do nothing like a sailor. Um, <laughs> but we, there's quite the, quite the um, spread of spending habits at the Air Force Academy for sure. Um, I continued my envelope strategy. I didn't actually have envelopes. I switched it to an Excel sheet, but I would look at that Excel sheet, you know, now that we're in Excel, we don't, we're not limited by paper. So I had 20 plus categories of spending. And then I would, every time you get a paycheck every two weeks, just like a normal W-2, um, that paycheck already had every dollar spent. And I would put it into my spreadsheet. Um, it would re, you know, replenish what I had been spending over the last couple of weeks. And I would look at that, I mean, like every day sometimes, um, and at least every few days. Um, and that that was pretty different than the rest of the year for the rest of the cadets. There were some people that um, had pre a pretty good financial background, but a lot of us, this was the first money we were making and it was fun to go spend it. Um, and, you know, each year we started making more. We had some debts that we technically had to pay back to buy our uniforms and stuff in the first year. Um, but I, I managed to buy my first car that I bought um, was a 1995 Honda Civic, uh, one of my favorite cars ever. And it was it, it cost, I think, about $2,000, maybe $2,500, um, and drove that thing until I was almost done with my Air Force career, and then I switched to a much fancier 2001 Forester. So. My, my understanding is that the smart thing to do for uh, folks who are attending service academies is to use, I think you have a career starter loan that gives you thirty dollars to $35,000 in very low interest debt to buy a bright red, shiny, jacked up F-250 pickup truck. Why did you uh, choose not to do that? And was that common amongst your peers? Either that or, or Corvettes. There was a lot of Corvettes in the parking lot once you got to junior year. A lot of really fancy cars. A lot of these cadets had um, college funds that their parents had as well. So some of them, their parents were able to just use that and buy them cars. But that wasn't my life. My parents put a lot of money into my first 12 years of education. And after that, it was, it was up to us. And... But also there's, I mean, people were buying parachutes, people were buying um, all, guns, people, all sorts of things that were not um, all hobby related. And they spent through that $35,000 real quick. And I saw some people, you know, when you graduate, you're paying that off in five years. You get It's a really low, it's an awesome loan, really low interest, less than 1%. And it's because USAA knows we're 
obligated to work for five years at least and we have a good salary but that's a it's like a car payment it's like five to six hundred dollars a month not a small payment that takes a good chunk out of your um, spending um i luckily didn't consider that at all and um, took the loan and just invested it um i ended up having to pay it off early so that i could afford my first house but i made like a couple thousand dollars um kind of free money in the process. Okay. I've never been in the military, but I have driven past the Air Force Academy on my way to other things in Colorado Springs. Do you have a lot of free time? <laughs> uh, I had uh, no free time. Yeah. No, not a lot of free time. So there's just Corvettes and big trucks sitting in the parking lot doing nothing, getting flat spots on their tires. Like there's if you're in the military, if you're thinking about joining the military, you don't have this luxurious free lifestyle. Don't go watch Top Gun and think that you're just going to play sweaty volleyball all the time. You're doing stuff all the time. You don't have time to go drive these cars. So why are you making payments on these cars you can't ever drive? Have a crappy car that you never drive or have no car. I mean, can you just... If you're at the Air Force Academy, could you just theoretically spend all of your time on campus base? Is is it a campus or a base or? It's both. Yep. It's both. In the cadet area, we called it on the hill. Yeah. Like you could just spend all your time there. Yeah, you could. And save a bunch of money. Yeah, you you could really be set up really well. Um, the oh. That is a good point. There's a lot of Corvettes in the parking lot. There's not a lot of empty parking lot space. It's a lot of, lot of, the, lot of time in the parking lot. That was also a good point because that's part kind of what got me into wanting to be a financial advisor, talking to people about personal finance, um, was talking to airmen once I was an officer and they would get their first big paychecks right out of high school. They were making like probably 40,000, 45,000, which is awesome. Um, you know, right after you graduate and they'd go buy a $50,000 truck, put a $15,000 lift on it, start paying, you know, five miles to the gallon, um, when gas isn't cheap. And th I would, those were the, the airmen that I would really sit down and want to talk to and connect with, <laughs> try to change, change their perspective a little bit on that. But I mean, we were no different. Well, most of um, the cadets and my peers were no different. They wanted to have that fancy car. I actually had one of my friends tell me, Evan, there's no reason that you shouldn't be driving a nice car by the time you're a, an officer. And I, I just looked at him and I was like, I'm never going to be driving a car that costs me more than um, 2015's version of $2,500. Just not a thing. <laughs> okay. Life hack. If you are in the military, point to any car in the parking lot and say, that's my car. The chances of you pointing to the person you're talking to, their actual car is very, very low. So you can have a nice car, have in air quotes, a nice car without having the payments. There you go. Because it's just going to sit in the parking lot anyway. We have very similar opinions on cars, Mindy, I think. What do you think that the average airman ends that five-year commitment with in terms of net worth? Yeah, graduated negative net worth, which is surprising because none of us have you know, we have like a $250,000 education that we didn't have to pay for. And we're still managing that a lot of them are st still managing to graduate with um, no, no savings. And then um, I didn't spend a lot of time socializing with other officers, but there's plenty of spending, you know, a lot of a lot of drinking, a lot of going out to bars and um, those bar tabs can go up and just, yeah, I don't think 
you know, small savings, if any, then um, a lot of people go negative. And after the five years of service, that's still negative? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I had, I actually, because I, by the time I was getting out, I had um, a few properties and um, just was starting to talk to people about real estate investing and people were asking me about it and people that I had graduated with, you know, just were getting started. It's all, all the way from that to like, some people do end up being super busy and manage to just let that keep them from spending. And so there are some people that once they get into the captain and hire, they, they can start accumulating some net worth. Um, but most of them have no idea what to do with their, their money. So I, again, I was like, listen to these podcasts that, you know, I had a whole bunch of ideas. <laughs> and what, can, let, let's, let's uh, spoil the surprise. What was your net worth approximately at the time that you exited the Air Force or after, after the five-year commitment more specifically? Yeah, it was probably like a hundred, 150,000. Awesome. It was, I was more towards the beginning of my investing career when the, the gains are frustrating because you're, you know, you, especially if you're like me, I invested with VA loans. And so I started with zero equity, negative equity, actually, by a couple thousand dollars. Um, and so that was like the, the difficult part in the beginning was just being frustrated with how slowly it was accumulating. But now looking back, I mean, it's just keeps, keeps, keeps growing. And it's really, time is really on your side once you get going. So how did you begin approaching investing and wealth building with an intentional focus? When would that begin in the, at the academy, uh, in the first few years of service, walk us through the, the journey and the, the aha moment. Yeah, it really started with my first house purchase. I don't think I, I was really into budgeting, really into being like money conscious. And it was bugging me that I had a limited spending ability uh, because I was never going to spend more than um, my income, certainly, but m- more accurately, like 70% of my income. Um, and so that was always frustrating to me, but I didn't really see a way to be building a net worth. And then I bought my first condo. My uncle, who had been, who was a retired pilot in the Air Force, told me, like, whatever you do, first thing you do when you get to your first duty station is buy a house. And so I did that. I was fortunate for that to be in Denver, where I'm from, really familiar with the area anyway. Um, but I, I did. I bought my first condo. I really loved the process. I loved getting to know the city, um, as we would call it now, getting to know the market. And just going in and touring houses and learning about the, you know, the, the, various pockets of Denver. Love the process. And so I was like, how can I make this a thing? I didn't want to be a real estate um, agent, probably because of my job and probably just because that um, wasn't what was exciting me. But so I, I Googled uh, investing in real estate and uh, Brandon's book, uh, the book on investing in real estate with lower no money down came up. So I, I listened to that book. Brandon was still the narrator on that at the time. So I listened to Brandon for about eight and a half hours. Uh, and that got me hooked on the podcast. So I really am a um, product of, of Bigger Pockets real estate content. Um, I've listened to hundreds of episodes of, of Bigger Pockets content, including hundreds of Bigger Pockets money. Um, so uh, that, and then just read, read book after book after book. So I think, yeah, you guys can take a victory lap. It's definitely a huge, uh, huge contribution to my, my learning. We're hearing that more and more, right? On all these episodes, that a lot of these people are becoming, getting a lot of what they know from bigger pockets. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I don't want to toot our own horn, but I'm tooting it. I'm tooting your horn. <laughs> There's a lot of information here, and and you know we're we're not it's incredible. 
selling anything. We're just sharing this information because we want you to have it. I mean, school is so lacking in financial education. And then you graduate like at 18, you're supposed to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. I mean, you wanted to be a pilot. But I didn't end up becoming a pilot. Oh, what did you do in the Air Force? I was in intelligence. So I, uh, yeah, I didn't end up becoming a pilot. We can go down that path if you want. But He could tell us, but then you'd have to kill us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, then I don't want to know. <laughs> I think that it's really unfortunate that we expect kids to, literal kids, to know what they want to do for the rest of their lives at age 18. So that's why we do this show to help people learn their money, uh, learn how to handle their money so that they can be better with it. Evan, it sounds like you had an instinctive or a kind of uh, ingrained uh, instinct to go and buy a, a property from your uncle. Uh, and you also had time in some capacity to immerse yourself in the world of self-education around real estate and investing. Is that a theme in military service that there's a good amount of time if you want to use it that way to put in some earbuds and just absorb a tremendous amount of educational material? It depends on it depends on the job. But yes, I, I one of the reasons I didn't become a pilot was because I was getting a um like a fun ride with a with a pilot in a um intelligence plane that just basically circles over um a combat zone and he was bragging to me that he had like over three hundred combat hours and he said like two hundred and eighty of those hours were spent watching Netflix. And I was like, I do not want to be doing that. But the amount of times that you have, no matter what you're doing, even if you're flying in a combat zone supporting live combat, you you there's other things you can be doing. And for me, I was sitting on um, the watch floor out in um, Aurora, Buckley Air Force Base, and I spent to keep myself awake, uh, which this is a little bit of, uh, embarrassing to admit, but to keep myself awake, I would be building spreadsheets and that could help me um, underwrite properties. Um, that that made the twelve hour shift go by quick. So biggerpockets.com has a calculator, and this is why you missed the big the Chinese balloon that was spying over us, right, last month. Well, he was out by then. That's not his fault. No, no. I, by that one, you're right. But no, I, I do. I do hope my uh, commanders at the time are not listening right now. It, <laughs> I mean, it kept me awake so that I was available when something did happen. So got to find it, find some way, but there is, you can use your time for multiple, multiple different ways in the air force. And that was, a, that was something that drove me nuts. I had a really secure, um, path that, um, I could stick with for the rest of my career. If I wanted to, it just felt like I wasn't maximizing the potential of that. And I wanted to make sure it, once I got to the end of the five years that I had kind of used that security to set myself up for something else, um, even if I ended up staying in, but certainly if I was leaving. So when did you first start thinking real estate is the way to go? It was a slow it was a slow process. I think I knew I wanted to be investing in real estate one way or the other, but I always thought it was um, going to be a side thing. Um, until I, I, maybe even like a couple of years ago, after I got out of the military, I was pursuing my career in financial planning, getting my um, CFP and... Um, just understanding the world outside of the military um, because it's a very unique bubble that you're in when you're in the military. And I barely knew like what modern technology looked like in the workplace 
because the Air Force is pretty behind on that. Um, so once I got a feel for what um, businesses was, were like, I realized having your own business or trying to build a business was really complicated and really hard. So you should probably focus on your strengths when it comes to what type of business you want to build. Um, at one point, I try, I started a suits, um, like an e-commerce suits website and found out that you really got to know everything about suits if you're going to start a company in it. So that's when I was like, all right, I need to focus on something that I'm passionate about. I just, the longer I was investing in real estate, the more I became passionate about it. And like maybe in the last year or two, I was started to really think I want to make real estate a full-time thing. And that it was just last year that I told Katie, I was like, I think I want to do this full-time. And I was really happy with her response. She was pretty open to it. Going back a little bit, let's walk through the timeline of deals that you did while in the Air Force. Can you walk us through uh, those one by one? Yeah. So I graduated in 2015. I had 10 months of um, intelligence training. Then I got to my first duty station, in which was Buckley, my only duty station, um, in the summer of 2016. And that's here in Colorado, near Denver. Right. East of Denver in Aurora. Yeah. Um, and so I was living, living in su- su- Southern Denver, looking for a house and we closed on the, the my first house, which is the, oh, which downtown, the condo downtown, um, in, uh, November of 2016. So that one, the, the problem, that one's still my only one that doesn't actually cash flow. It basically breaks even. Um, I didn't buy it with investment in mind. And so it was pretty expensive. I mean, it was an awesome place. I loved, I loved living there. Um, so I bought that one in 2016, uh, lived there for about a year, bought the next one close. I closed on the next one at the very end of December in 2017. And did you use a VA loan for either of these purchases? VA loan for the Pearl Street one. Um, it was too quick. The first one. Right. For Yeah. Sorry for the first one. So I used my VA loan on the first one and that purchase price was 375000 and my loan on that was three hundred eighty-three thousand. So the VA loan, and I've heard this come up on your on, on the UP money a few times, but the VA loan actually covers a hundred percent of the purchase price and closing costs up to five percent of the purchase price, which usually um, that covers all of it. So I actually got a check at the closing um, t- at closing because my earnest money came back to me. Evan, quick tangent on this. Uh, VA loans are assumable, right? So if you live in a military area, uh, even if you're not military, I could say, Evan, I'd like to purchase your property from you. And I'd like to assume your VA mortgage, your VA loan on that property. And you'd be able to allow me to do that, right? And because VA loans are often purchased with 0% financing, even after the big run up in equity values for the last two years, folks might only have 15, 20% equity. So this would be a great place to go fishing for deals in military markets if there are uh, officers, for example, who have bought property using this type of loan product, probably don't have a lot of equity and would be willing to sell to get out of that that mortgage. Is that, is that a fair tangent and statement? Yeah, it's a fair it's a fair point. There's a few, a few um, nuances in there though. Um, so with the VA loan, the conditions of that is you're only allowed to hold one VA loan in your name per market. It's not just one VA loan, it's per market. So as long as you're moving, I think it's like outside of a 50 mile radius, you can buy another house with a VA loan. So that applies well. It is, it's, you need to make sure that the seller knows that because the, the loan is still going to be on their name. But if they're 
I mean, most military, if they're leaving and selling, they're moving to a completely new state, maybe a completely new country. And if they're, they can buy again using a VA loan. Like if I went from Buckley in Denver to um, Colorado Springs, Peterson, now Space Force Space in, in um, Colorado Springs, that's a new market. I could still use my VA loan down there. But if they were moving just to upgrade in town, which is what I was doing, well, not upgrade, but I was moving in town, I couldn't re- have another VA loan. But it is, the equity issue is a big thing for people moving. And you must own or occupy as well, correct, right? Right. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. So combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, the the... The seller must own or occupy. And is, is that another condition of, uh, of the um, assumable loans? I wasn't, I didn't know. That. I believe I, I will have to check this. This would be a great conversation in the Bigger Pockets Money Facebook group for folks that can chime in with, with additional details. My understanding, though, is that you, to your point, uh, you may be uh, limiting the options of the seller and being able to use their VA loan uh, for another purchase, uh, depending on cer- whether certain conditions are met. And uh, you must own or occupy the property with a VA or FHA loan that you assume. Right. I think that's a that's kind of how a lot of these types of um, you know hacks you can call them in real estate investing are. Like you you can't take the hack and force it into a situation. You want to be aware of a whole bunch of different tools that you can apply and be able to apply the right tool in each situation because the, each thing is pretty nuanced and pretty specific to. Um, a certain set of criteria and it's not going to apply to every criteria. And when I was listening to that, I've listened to a few episodes on that, a few podcasts on that. And, um, they are, it's a very specific scenario where that would work, but it will work really well in those scenarios. And as you're going through your deal analysis and looking at a whole bunch of different deals, knowing that that's a possibility could turn a like, um, mediocre potential into a really good option or turn you into a much better buyer. If you're able to be, um, be able to help the sellers in that way. Awesome. Well, let's go. Let's resume your journey. I'm sorry for the interruption. So the next one I bought was another townhouse in Southern Denver and I it was owner occupied. We put 5% down, um, partnered with my parents on that. So I didn't use any of my money there. Um, and that was about $277,000 purchase, um, with 5% down. And, um, so that was the next year, basically one year later, 2017. 2017. And then I got married in 2018. And I didn't personally purchase a property, but Katie had purchased one. So it was kind of like my purchase, my property acquisition, getting married, because I added that to my to, to our portfolio then. So that was 2018. And then um, in September of 2019 um, is when we closed on the, the 10 unit that um, we own with a couple of investors in Omaha. Um, and we own a smaller portion of that, but I manage it. And then that's, that was, that's been a really fun story as well. Um, we still own that one and we're hopefully getting close to the exit now. And then in January of 2020, I bought a single family home. We bought that with cash for $38,000 in Omaha. Um, and now I have 
people, my phone's ringing off the hook to buy it without having done anything to it. The tenant's been a really great tenant. Probably the easiest property I've had was this one. Um, and there it's appreciated, but people are offering for like 60 to 65,000 without even having remodeled it. So that's been a really fun one. Um, I think I've had maybe three maintenance calls from that tenant over the last three years. So, so over five years in a row, you pick up a new cash flow positive asset, right? Property number one, property number two, wife, property number three, and then property number four, because uh, we got we had another property in the in the marriage, uh, and then we have uh, uh, this Omaha property in 2020. So five years in a row, one asset at a time. Was that was that the plan going into this? No, I wanted it to be way faster. I think it always drove me crazy how slow it felt um, at the beginning, like I said earlier. Um, but I was doing something, I think. And now it's super powerful what, how that set me up. And one, the t- that, those years passed, no matter how much I wanted them to slow down. And so like one at a time really added up. Um, so now we have eight properties. But yeah, it did. It averaged out to one property a year all the way to this year. Um, we didn't buy one. We So we bought in January 2020, we bought that Omaha single family. And then in May, we bought, we moved um, into the house that we live in now and we Airbnb our basement. Um, so that was the purchase in January, in 2020. So there was two in 2020. Then in 2021, we didn't buy anything. And then Last year, we bought two short-term rentals um, down in the Gulf Shores. So it it is one a, one a year, but those years really add up and it starts to be a nice-looking portfolio. So, When did you know you were ready to make the leap from financial planner to full-time real estate investor? Sometime last summer. Um, there was a few. Last last year was a really serendipitous year for, for Katie and I. We um, had, a ba- had our first baby. Um, we... I was looking at uh, other a different firm, so I took a really deep dive into what I wanted my career to look like, and just saw basically a five year projection of what it would look like in the financial planning world. What a lead advisor, because my trajectory was three to five years if I was doing really well um, to become a lead advisor, and what that would look like, what my life would look like to get there, and then what would my life would look like to really build on that after, and all of that stuff kind of put it into perspective that. What I really wanted to pursue over the next three to five years was building my own, our own real estate portfolio and our own real estate business. And then spreadsheets, again, were really big. I did a very detailed budget, looked at our income, all the different line items of our income, all of the, the expenses, including taxes, including having childcare, and did the math on how much cash we were ending up with because I was working this job. Um, after all expenses versus how much cash we would have, like how much more my job was adding was really important to me to learn. And that was about $17,000 for a more than 40 an hour week um, effort and for the prioritizing my attention. And that just was like, you know, not very exciting to see. And it was kind of the, the, the kind of the last thing that pushed, pushed us over to be committed to um, me working on real estate and knowing kind of the minimum that I needed to make in the first year to even, you know, for our lifestyle to not even feel any different. And how much did you expect? What did your spreadsheet tell you would happen 
if you quit and, and went into real estate full time? Well, the first piece of that is being able to claim that I'm a real estate professional full time. We have a whole bunch of real estate assets that we have not depreciated by a whole bunch. I should say a handful more. We're like, but it's, you know, it's a few million dollars of, um, of equity that we haven't been able to use in tax depreciation. You mean you've been depreciating it, but it's been a passive loss instead of an active loss offsetting your, your taxable income. Because you're because you are in the good fortune of being above the hundred fifty thousand dollar limit, where you, uh, in a household income where you can use that that benefit. So sorry if that's way over people's heads. This that's a great tax thing to go in and study. Uh, we'll link to some resources in the show notes. There's plenty of episodes about about that from Bigger Pockets, um, mostly <laughs> that that are really helpful. Um, but it's a very it's a life changing detail with real estate investing to be able to accelerate your depreciation. And we were able to accelerate depreciation on our basement because it was our primary residence and we were using it as an investment. So we were able to accelerate depreciation one year. I think it was for our 2021 taxes. And that was just crazy. We got like, I think $15,000 back. The study cost $3,000. So we netted $12,000 that we normally would have had to pay in taxes. So that got our attention and really started looking at how, how to do that. And that's why we focused on short-term rentals last year, because as long as you are meeting the active participation requirement of 500 hours in the asset a year, you can depreciate, accelerate depreciation on those assets, um, which is great. But I had to, you know, I had to be pushing beyond my 40 hour uh, a week job to be acquiring those properties and managing them and making sure they were cash flowing assets. So it just wasn't the lifestyle that, that I wanted. And also, um, we had a few properties that we couldn't accelerate the depreciation on. So it really, uh, it was almost costing me money that actually might have been costing us money for me to be working. Um, because now that I can claim real estate professional, we can write off a lot of our W2 income that's coming from Katie's awesome job with bigger pockets. And um, that, that 17,000 will quickly be made up by just um, depreciating our real estate. And that'll last for a couple of years before I even need to be making any money, um, which is not my goal. But that um, pretty much immediately upon quitting, we had the access to tax um, strategies that would make us more money than me working full time. Now, before folks listening have dollar signs popping up into their their brains with this, this is a this is not saving money on taxes. This is deferring taxes. Right, so you're you're able to depre claim depreciation now. You will have to recapture it at some point, unless you play the lifetime game of 1031 exchanging, deferring taxes indefinitely, and then dying and passing on all of your assets to your new wonderful daughter. Uh, at, at that point, the stepped up basis. So, so it's possible to to defer them and per perpetually, at least with the current tax law. But really, what you're doing is you're if you were to sell these properties, you have to reclaim that that those. That, that depreciation and pay taxes on those gains, perhaps even at ordinary income tax levels. Is that right? It, it depends on the. It depends on how long you had the asset. But um, it, for for most of the, um, like if you're selling the, most of your real estate, it'll be a capital gain at capital gains tax tax rate. Um, I'm pretty. I'm like ninety five percent sure on that. Um, but that's true. It is. It is a much more active and attention um, requiring like demanding way to do your real estate. Um, you certainly have to be ready to manage 
the exits of all of these properties um, very attentively and according to the laws of the day. And you're risking the today's taxes tax law to change. Um, all of that is true, and it's still a really powerful way to um, start your career, especially, and to um, supercharge it um, as you go each level. Okay. I just want to chime in here and say that I know we have talked about the real estate professional, and this is capital R real estate, capital E, capital P. This is a tax designation that the IRS came up with. I know we've talked about it briefly in the past. Um, this is an official thing. And essentially, if you have a full-time job, you're not going to qualify to be a real estate professional. You have to have more time spent. It's a minimum of 750 hours a year. And you can't spend more time at another job than your real estate job. So I want to um, I just want to reiterate that this is an amazing thing, but it is not available for everyone. If you file taxes as a real estate professional, the IRS is going to take a real close look at your taxes. So you definitely want to make sure you qualify and you definitely want to make sure that your tax professional understands what this is and is taking advantage of this for you. Yeah, I completely agree with what you said there, Mindy. Um, that plug for finding tax professionals on bigger pockets is under the navigation bar under build your team. There is a tax professionals link, and that will take you to some of the best tax professionals um, that we've found on bigger pockets at, at usually active forum participants, folks who have been around a long time and are used to working with uh, real estate investors. And then I think that to your point on this rep status, real estate professional status, REPS uh, is, is, a really good option for someone in Evan and Katie's situation. One person's working a full-time job, has stable cash flow to bring into the, the, the family. Other person is working on building the real estate empire and using the tax advantages that come with that. And it's also particularly valuable at this point where after seven, eight years of investing, there's a portfolio to depreciate that has assets that you can actually play these games with uh, appropriately with the tax games that you're playing with the advice of your excellent tax professional. They're not games. Yeah. Very specific <laughs> approach here. They're strategies. Um, Evan, I want to circle back to where you're going currently. So you are a real estate professional now. You're full-time on real estate. Uh, I believe that you just completed a flip in this market. Can you walk us through that and what your advice would be for other folks who are looking to get started in today's market conditions? Yeah. So um, one of the th other things that lined up last year while I was considering um, moving on from my full-time financial planning job was um, more opportunities to flip um, houses were coming up. And I ended up meeting um, an awesome couple, um, Sarah and Jose Guth Sala. Um, and they they were wholesalers, they're flippers in the Denver area. And they had a couple of properties that they th thought I should um, come look at. And they became really great mentors to me, um, especially Sarah. She worked, she did, just did so much self, so much selfless time to, to help me make this a success. Um, and so I guess that, that'd be a piece of advice. Um, and you hear this a lot, like go find a mentor. Um, I didn't go find a mentor. I was being active, um, telling people about what I wanted to do, um, getting my, my plan and what I've already done out there. And, um, the right people 
kind of came into my life and, and I was able to capitalize on that and um, really be able to have somebody that I could learn from. Um, but that's, that's really important to be around other people who are doing it that can, you can bounce ideas off of that you can prevent like rabbit holes from, from ruining your first project. So that, that'd be a big piece. Um, but, but so anyway, so we, we ended up, um, looking at several different properties. The one that ended up really being, um, a good fit for, for myself and, uh, the contractor that I worked with. And he's also my real estate agent. Um, we've worked for years together, um, was a small condo, um, in Southern Denver. And it, um, the, the budget was we, we bought it for 230,000, um, target sale price was between 315 and 325,000. And the, um, construction cost was around 40,000 with 15 to $20,000 of other costs, holding costs and everything that closing costs, everything else that comes, that came into the, the transactions, um, the, one of the challenges at the beginning was knowing what the se- what the sell price could be because we were analyzing this property in November of 2022 and everybody knows all the ups and downs and the volatility that the real estate market and the interest rates experienced. So you can't really have, you don't have too many comps as you look back. You have to look at like, the la- for, for us, we looked at the last three months of actual sales of condos that were really similar to this one that we were um, going to be flipping. And if you're flipping a condo, you need to be looking at pretty much that community or really similar communities like it. Because as we were looking at the comps, we there's a there's a main thoroughfare just north, 285, just north of this complex. And right on the other side of that was another condo complex that had really similar numbers, two bed, two bath, um, about a thousand square foot condos. And they were all comping for about $100,000 more than these condos. And so that was confusing at the beginning. Um, but that, that was a really important thing to clarify. We, we literally just took comps in that um, condo complex and a couple outside in the um, nearby areas. And then ran the numbers. And um, we, I had run the numbers a lot. I think, like I said, I like spreadsheets. I've analyzed hundreds of properties. Um, I've analyzed several um, before, um, even considering doing a flip and then several during the process as well. Um, and then we went for it and closed. I partnered with Sarah on the loan, um, to get better terms. And then I brought all of the capital that, um, was going to be needed, the private capital that was going to be needed, ran the project. She helped a ton with like design choices and, um, all the different details that you run into throughout the, throughout a flip. And then um, my the same guy who did more, most of the work is the one that listed it. And just last week, actually, we listed it on Friday and ended up with three offers all over asking. And we were able to take one that was um, 11000 over our $325,000 asking price. So it turned out amazing. But some of the things that I kind of went into the project with were if it takes a couple extra months to sell, I'll still make money or break even. Um, if, if we are desired, if it's like 5%, 10% below our, um, asking price, what we wanted to sell for, I would still break even. Um, so this first one was learning how to do it, going through the whole process. And if we made money, great. And we did. So that's, that's awesome. What, what was the total profit on this? 
So the total before there was a few total profit was what, probably about 20,000. It's looking like, um, but the total profit was about 30. Um, I had, uh, one other investor and then, um, Sarah got a little bit of a cut for partnering with me a lot less than she deserved. But, um, so we, the total capital in the total private capital that was required was about 60,000 and we made 30,000 in four months. So pretty good. A lot better result than I expected my first foot to be. And that's all during kind of one of the scarier markets. Um, I am just saying that because I had a lot of doubters that were like, is this the right time to be flipping? Like you're crazy for doing your first flip right now. And, um, I guess I had a lot of doubters, all of them, my close family were supportive, family and friends were supportive, but there's just a lot of questions out there. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? And, um, you know, it turned out to be really a successful thing, but it was because we, I had a lot of experience in real estate. I knew Denver really well. I love running numbers. So I've run the numbers and I have very conservative numbers several times over and over again, um, said no to a lot of other properties that could have been good projects, but weren't the right fit. And then also had, um, a, a couple of people that were really interested in my success and just great people that were helping all that happen. Fantastic. I think this is, I, th- I think it's a, uh, awesome approach. I think it's against the grain of, of conventional wisdom in this market. And again, an outsider, I would say I'm a novice at, at understanding all, all of this stuff. I have never actually done a flip for example, but it, it seems like it was buy high, sell higher for the last, you know, eight years. And your approach is kind of buy low, sell less low, uh, in the, in the, in this flipping market. Is that, is that a fair way to sum it up? Definitely. And we, when, like we are after repair value that we looked at was lower than what properties had sold for in 2022. Um, so we were expecting there not to be, um, appreciation and we were actually, even though I personally didn't think there was going to be any drop in the Denver market, um, you know, it needed to take that into account because if there ever was a market that that would happen and this was the this was it um and then if you get you know if there's appreciation in the process it's awesome bonus um bonus profit so and that's that's what happened and that's a much better feeling than counting on getting there and then even meeting it it's not not as satisfying a way to um, approach it. Evan, this has been a lot of fun and I really appreciate you sharing all of these great tidbits. I love your your quote. I love running numbers. You have to nerd out about real estate if you're going to be successful. It's it's not a, ah, that looked interesting. I think I'll just jump in. I mean, you can do that. There's There's lots of people who have and those are the people that are telling you you'll never make money your experience will be terrible just like mine. Well, of course your experience was terrible. You didn't do any of the upfront work before you jumped in. So I love all of the preparation and the learning and the the just experience that you got before you got any experience. And I love that you shared your story with us today. Thank you so much. Where can people find more about you? So uh, like as a side, I, I, on the side, I do some volunteer financial planning and I'm also trying to just make, just like you guys, I love the, the BP Money podcast because you're trying to make financial um, content and learning um, available to people who need it when they can't afford it is, was a, is a big passion of mine. So I started a Instagram handle called uh, Simple, Fi- Simple Fellow Finance. Um, so I post just little tidbits 
um, throughout the throughout the week on that, and you can, so you can find me there. And then also my bigger pockets um, accounts. I pay attention to that as well. You can um, DM me on Instagram or on, on Bigger Pockets. I'd love to talk to people more about that because that's my other passion. It's really hard to make money being a financial planning coach um, unless you're mostly working with people who already have a nest egg and they're great people and they need. Um, financial planning help as well. But where my passion is, is really helping people that are at the beginning of their careers, not ready to spend thousands of dollars a year on financial planning. Um, but a few tweaks here and there can really set them up well. I think that's a big thing about my story is they were really a few small tweaks. They didn't like really excite me each time. It was just like, all right, this is at least a step that I can do. And it's the right direction. And it's really set, set us up to be able to do really exciting things like um, quit my W two and um, go full time into a uh, my own my own business and our own um, real estate portfolio. So that's um, Simple Fellow Finance, and um, I'm always happy to talk on Bigger Pockets as well. Awesome at Simple Fellow Finance on Instagram. Uh, Evan's a uh, overnight success in just ten short years of real estate investing, uh, and also a. Uh, I would say a nerd and expert in all things personal finance and willing and ready to help licensed CFP. So go check him out. And, uh, uh, there's a lot of probably good advice that you can learn from, uh, Evan on also going against the grain in the current real estate investing environment. So really admire what you've accomplished Evan and look forward to seeing, uh, what the next decade of real estate investing brings now that you're full-time. Thanks Scott. Thank you. All right, Scott, that was Evan Miller. That was super fun. And he had a couple of quotes that I love. He said near the end, he said, I love running numbers. First of all, huge nerd. But second of all, get good at running numbers. If you don't like running numbers, what are you doing in real estate? Why do you think you're going to be successful in real estate if you can't run the numbers? What does Brandon say? Like run 10 a day or something like that, 10 a week. Get really, really good at running numbers. Do you know who doesn't run numbers anymore? Me. Do you know why? Because I do it all the time. I am an expert in my local city. And I know because I'm a real estate agent, I am on the MLS all the time. I'm constantly seeing what houses are listed for, are selling for. I know what houses are renting for. I am flipping houses. I know how much it costs. Because I'm an agent, I am getting quotes all the time for roofs and air conditioners and appliances and, 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 and. So I'm not running numbers. I just have this running list of how much stuff costs in my head. So as I'm walking through a property, I can say, this will be, oh, it needs a new roof, I bet, because I can see through the ceiling. So that's fifteen to $20,000. And the HVAC system was last replaced uh, in the Roosevelt administration. So that's going to need to be replaced. That's $12,000. And I know this because I've already gotten 57 quotes for 57 properties that I sold last year. So it's going to be something that you either need to know, but like the back of your hand or run the numbers, get good at running numbers, period. Absolutely. You know, Brandon's 10 a day is great. I, I like the idea of just, if you, if you analyze one deal a day, that's 90 deals in a quarter. Right. And if you pick the best deal out of that, that's roughly one in a hundred, right? Maybe do two on a, a couple of Saturdays and you've got, you've rounded it out to a nice hundred deals in one quarter of the year. That's a great ratio. You buy the best one of those deals. Um, you're probably going to get a, a pretty good one. And, and that would be a very simple formula for someone who wants to, you know, flip in today's market, right? You, you probably can still do it if you follow a simple rule of thumb like that. 
uh, I wonder if Evan would agree with us if he were here. So um, I also think that uh, someone like uh, Evan, who loves running numbers like that, now all of a sudden that analysis counts towards your real estate professional status. That is your literally your job to run the numbers on these things. And so a lot of those benefits begin to stack up if you're willing to do that, uh, that level of analysis uh, to get into real estate investing. So always start with the numbers, figure out what a good deal is. And I'd be remiss if I didn't take this absolutely perfect opportunity to now plug the bigger pockets calculators, which are available to all of our pro members, which allow you to analyze those deals in a really simple, but effective, uh, uh, uh toolkit. We it integrates with our rent estimation tool on bigger pockets. So you can, uh, get some accurate, uh, in many, if, if we have the data, some, if you're in a market with very little, very few properties, you're going to need to find your own comps. If we have accurate rental comps, uh, for many markets around the country, and that will help you, um, again, get used to the, the craft of analyzing deals, help you get started. Golly, Scott, where could I find these calculators? Uh, you can find them under at biggerpockets.com and just hover under the tools section of our navigation bar. Or you could use a quick link and go to biggerpockets.com slash calc, C-A-L-C. Uh, okay. Another tip that Evan shared with us is, I think this is brilliant. Don't try to force your scenario into a program. Use the program and all of the rules that come with the program because any of these programs are going to be a government-sponsored program and they're going to have a ton of rules involved. Use the program to your advantage. Figure out the rules. Like The government doesn't hide these rules. They print them out in great detail online. You can find these rules, read them, understand them. The VA loan, if you qualify for a VA loan, go understand every rule about the VA loans. Call up your lender. They're not that busy right now because lending has dropped a little bit since uh, rates have increased. Call them up and ask them, explain to me the VA loan. If they can't explain it to you, don't use them as your VA lender. And not all lenders understand the intricacies of the VA lending process. I have an amazing VA lender. I get nothing for referring them. Email me, mediabiggerpockets.com, and I will send you my VA lender link because she's fantastic. But you just need to understand the programs that you're using. Figure out the loopholes. There's always a loophole. It's a government program. So find the loopholes and use the program to your advantage. Yeah. And three tips for doing that. One, network, right? Ask your lender, ask agents in your local market, ask peers and investors for tips. They will steer you towards these opportunities, many of which are so nuanced and so hyper-local that we could never get to them on a podcast like this. The second is immerse yourself in content that is podcasts like this, right? And and really spend the hours, put that, make that your default when you're uh, at work or at the gym or whatever, and kind of immersing yourself in the world of real estate investing. And then third, marry the head of publishing at Bigger Pockets and get all the Bigger Pockets books for free. <laughs> that last one isn't going to work so well because she's already married. All right. Well, Mindy, should we get out of here? We should. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying Hakuna Matata. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. 
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.